Welcome to another episode of the Bandwagon Podcast. And today's podcast is a, a fairly unique one um, and should sit outside of all the other kind of podcasts in that way. And, and it's, a, it's a space for me to come and have a bit of an education, but bring kind of different worlds together as well, really. So some of my day job, a bit of my outside interest, and then and more importantly, as a father as well, um, to do that. So today I'm joined by Ravita Panu, who's been our previous guest before. Um, so she's waving just to those of you in the car, just in case. So um, I'm going to describe you in this one, Ravita. And I know I'm speaking for you on this one, but this is my turn, my only chance to speak at this bit, which is around sort of uh, female empowerment and and activism. And especially you've just gone through a recent sort of procedure yourself, which you, you're kind of going to. And I'm really, really, really pleased to get um, Emma Cox from Endometriosis UK, who's the chief exec there. Um, and, and she comes from such an excellent background in terms of loads of public health work, Diabetes UK, uh, NUS, all these kind of things, are, you know, to bring it in. So the idea for today is to bring everybody's kind of stories and positions together and try and help bridge that gap. So, uh, you know, at that in, in that kind of moment, I'm just going to start off with Ravita and then come over to you, Emma. In, in, in terms of from endometriosis what does that mean for you Rita? pain pain and pain that's it if, if you know first of all hello um everyone that's listening in hi emma it is a pleasure and honor to to meet you virtually like this um and i just want to do that to you it's you know because you you are you are, you are acting on on my behalf and and on the behalf of many, many people that suffer with this condition. Nine out of, I think it's one out of 10 women suffer with it. I'm one, one out of 10. Um, but it's not just a, a, a female condition. Men can actually be diagnosed with this too. So I don't want this conversation just as much as it is, will be directed around women. You know, I think it's super important that any man, male listening out there kind of, turns up the volume up a little bit and just listens in. Um, endometriosis to me is, it's, it's, it, it's a part of me, it's made me who I am um, without even knowing I had this condition. Um, I've had it historically, I've been told that. It's been um, growing inside as I call it. I call it the spider's web because that's the only way for me to describe it. Um, the spider's web has been growing um, surgeon told me for some time um, and it, I think for myself it's just been one it, it's something I had to go through I had to go through the journey the way I have been in order for me to get out and come out the other side whether surgery's worked or not I'll find out soon enough on in June um, yeah it's just it's pain and it's a hidden illness Aesthetically, I look great, and you know my job uh, to some extent pushes me to put on a smile, and and I have done for many many years because I don't know any other way. But I've also been crippled in pain, holding my left side of my body, thinking, and not realizing actually that you've got a medical condition which, for some people is life-changing, is life-changing, and for me, has been life-changing. Uh, Emma, you've, you've kind of just heard from, in terms of from like Ravita's bit from there, I, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you've got almost two kind of angles to this one, is it outside of your work kind of position, and then also your your the challenges that you face within within your work. Can you just share a little bit about, a little bit more about your role and and and, and, and just kind of delve into a little bit more of the challenges that you're that you're facing? Sure, and uh, Ricky and Ravita, lovely to be here with you. Thank you for inviting me on. Um, so I'm Chief Executive at Endometriosis UK. Um, we're not a big charity because like a lot of women's health, um, it's sort of been ignored over the years, hasn't it? But you're doing your bit to help change that. So thank you. Um, so we're a charity, Endometriosis UK, and we're here to help the 1.5 million in the UK 
um, 1.7 million people worldwide, in fact, with endometriosis, and it's one in 10 women in those assigned females birth that Ravita said. Um, so what we try and do is to raise awareness of endometriosis because we want to see, we want change. We need people at the moment, it's an average of eight years to get a diagnosis, which I think is shocking. It hasn't changed that in a decade. That's eight years of pain, as Ravita is describing. That's eight years of not being believed. Um, and we want to achieve change. We need, there needs to be more research and better treatment. So what we're about is trying to raise awareness because until everyone knows what endometriosis is, we have to explain it before we can say what we want to change about it. You must have that revealed, you know. Oh, you all all. The time. And you know, and 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 you get, you end up saying, Emma, and I know you'll appreciate this. Yeah, it's just a really heavy period because it it's mind boggling, and it is more than just a heavy period. Yeah. Those that are ready to listen to the information, um, will and will sit and listen. How many of those people are really ready to listen to what this condition is? Sorry, yeah. back to you, Emma. No, not at all. And just to say, it is completely different than a bad period. It's like saying calling it a bad period is like saying a migraine is a slight headache, and to just get on with it. You know, there's, um, it, it, it's completely different. But we have this sort of overlap of taboo subjects with endometriosis, so it's linked to periods. So that's taboo. Um, we've got um, it can affect the bowel quite badly so we've got poo involved so that's a taboo so you know don't talk about that um, it can uh, impact for some it impacts on fertility and that's a taboo um, and also for some it causes painful sex because of where it grows next to the vagina which is a really soft organ and that's also taboo so you've got like this massive overlap of issues that a lot of people won't talk about and yet it's part of the body I don't see why we shouldn't be able to talk about it in, in an open way um, but but certainly historically, uh, we sort of we try and sort of ignore women's bits as they euphemistically call. You know, um, uh, Ravita, I hope your surgery goes really well. Um, I'm sure you know you were talking earlier. You'll know soon how it's gone and everything. So hopefully that that's all gone well. But um, you know, you've just had major surgery on an organ. Have you been offered physio or any help afterwards? Yeah, but you yeah. know, if you'd had something for your knee, if you'd been playing football, maybe and had your knee damaged, you'd probably get surgery. Yeah. You'd pretty certainly get physio afterwards. Why is it that we don't treat women's, uh, you know, parts of women's body? Yes, it's internal, but why don't we treat them the same? Ricky, I've completely gone off your question. I know. No, 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 no. It's fine because it's just it's the natural evolution in terms of where you. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, really, in terms of the taboo subjects, like. We we would. Sorry, guys. Uh, I'm gonna have to stand up because this is a part of it. It was if it if it goes, I'm gonna have to just walk it out a little bit. So sure. sorry, guys. I know it's I know it's a bit it's a bit kind of recent for uh, for from Ravi to have a uh, have kind of had this this discussion. But <coughs> it was just so passionate in terms of like um, to to be part of the conversation. I mean, you just you kind of hit something on the head there in terms of like I, I would guess almost like a public health prior, priority because when I was trying to hunt somebody down in this way and and, and, I'm, and I do mean that in an aggressive way <laughs> with, to, to get on that it was very hard to find a designated person who has this kind of this portfolio I, I've had future I've had correspondence and have conversations since then when, since we've made contact but how difficult it is is it then to get this kind of on that on the health agenda and almost like the political agenda because that's where the real change is isn't it especially yeah. over the last couple of years all the money has gone towards kind of covid for it for example the, the every kind of the condition uh, um has kind of been put to a side um how difficult is it then to say you know we're here and we want to you know to, to try and get that attention yeah well every condition has been put aside we all get covid don't we but gynecology waiting lists have gone up more than any other waiting list percentage wise um, and I think that again just shows and answers you know the questions doesn't it is that for whatever reason women's gynecological health is not considered as important and we're sort of doing some like what might sound like really boring work to get to the bottom of this but working out why and I think that um potentially one of the issues is we sort of group so you know you might have rheumatology you might need a hip replacement and those are all discrete things but then we just go gynecology and obstetrics obstetrics is babies they're lumped together babies don't wait so do they if you need baby if you need something for that baby happens up totally but that means that gynecology things like endometriosis are somehow given a less priority it seems so we're trying to get to the bottom of that so I think one of the things the first thing I'd say there is hope 
Um, and certainly we've seen some really great work in Scotland. So the Scottish Government have actually made a commitment. Um, the average length of diagnosis in Scotland is eight and a half years. Um, and they've made a commitment publicly to reduce that to an average of a year or less. Um, you know, which is brilliant. And they're, they're putting some money where the mouth is and they're doing some things they around are. that. Um, so that's great. It will take a while. Um, and no one, and we, there isn't a magic wand to do that. Um, and in Wales, they've also been doing some work. Um, and for example, they've been putting more resources in so that people can access specialist nurses and things. But um, what we need England to do is to follow suit from what Scotland and Wales are doing and make that real commitment to drive down diagnosis time because unless there is a target it is not going to get done and I think what we'd like to see is endometriosis and other gynae conditions given the the due priority depending on the impact they're having um, rather than just being put to the bottom of the list and I think one of the things that can confuse people is endometriosis is a it's a strange disease as Ravita says it's growing inside people and where it grows and how much it grows is different person to person so some people might have quite mild symptoms um, and some people can have very very severe symptoms they can be debilitated by it but it's not related to how much you've got it's where it grows um, yeah. and so I think that um, it's you know it's a difficult one it's not like it's not like every operation is the same but I don't think that should let us take us away from trying to support young people from getting a diagnosis and getting the help they need so i just want to just um just go on to uh, just a touch more and then i'll, I'll come over to you Ravita, in, in a second which is you know you've got a campaign which uh, you're going you're going forward at this moment about um, um campaigning and contacting your mp uh, is that to implement the the latest new nice guidelines so the nice guidelines just for anybody listening those are the kind of clinical directives those clinical guidelines that people should be following or services should be following has that been updated recently because i know there was some there was an update that was due in early february um so there hasn't been any major updates sure. um i mean i think i think if i I don't call a slight tweak here and there on the text and update. So, um, <laughs> so what we're calling for um, is we're asking everyone to write to their MPs to ask the government or ask their MPs to agree that they should ask NICE to update their guidelines. And so the guidelines came in in 2017 and they were the first time we'd had them for endometriosis, shockingly again. Um, and they, as you say, Ricky, set out all the pathway and what should happen to you. Um, but they were, they were a good first step, but they're not perfect and there's some big gaps. And one of the things we've been talking a lot about gynecology, um, but actually endometriosis can grow elsewhere in the body other than within the pelvic cavity for some people. So, for example, in the lungs uh, is, or, you know, on the diaphragm. And, and the guidelines don't cover that at all they don't um cover um non what the medical term is non-pharmacological pain management or drugs um, they don't cover other things like physio like we just touched on or other ways that people could get help and they don't they don't cover um mental health support and um you know again Rita described that it can you know has an impact on your life and so what we're we're calling for is for everybody to write to their MP and demand that their MP agrees that they should get the guidelines updated. So our website is endometriosis-uk.org. Um, and if you go on there, there's a very simple uh, link that you can do to, to write to your MP. I'll put a, I'll put a link on that on the description, especially on the, on the YouTube and on the social. So for anybody to get involved and in, uh, to, to do that. Um, so, yeah, so uh, I'm guessing that was way more than a tweak from, from my understanding to, to, to know the impact of what that is which is fair um Ravita, you know when you when obviously when you kind of ha first had this con this condition or when it was happening um you know for, for, for me as a as a dad and um i i rely heavily on my, on my wife's sort of knowledge base to, in this area but i think that's just not a, that that ex excuse is not satisfactory anymore um in my opinion i think we should all have an, a universal education for everybody's health and 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 have that positive one however when when you were coming and you kind of had these this these signs of symptoms what kind of support network uh, were you around and how did you kind of deal with it to get to that stage of kind of di diagnosis the, the, the biggest thing is is what emma started off with it's it's the three taboos isn't it it's sex it's poo and, and it's the woman's bits. And culturally, coming from a Punjabi background, you do not talk about those things. So when my period started, 
And if I go right back to when my period started, I was 11 years old. Um, was that, and that was seen very young in, in, in my family. My sister, you know, my, my older sibling, I think she was 17. So there was a massive difference with age. Um, and I can remember getting a bit of a across the face saying, well, what do you want me to do? And that was from my mom. It's because she didn't know how to react and, 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 and just shoved a, a towel in my hand and went, put it on. I didn't know what I was doing. So you just carried on. And then throughout the years, periods got heavier. There was no emotional support growing up for periods. Didn't really get anything from school because I went to a Catholic school. So anything to do with that region and the female body, you didn't talk about anyway. Um, and then, you know, there was so much that the Ms. magazine was going to do for me growing up as a, as a loyal, Emma, did you read them too? You know, and there was only so much that that gave me. Um, I didn't get any support from anywhere else. Um, all I can remember is my mum having heavy periods and that's it. Fast forward, it's actually my husband who's given me that support. My father-in-law, my mother-in-law and my husband have been the drivers for me to get something done. And that, and I thank the pandemic because it allowed me to rest and listen to my body. The support that I have got in the last 18 months for my condition, being diagnosed with a condition because had I not got the diagnosis and the support of my family to say, please do something because we can't cope anymore, I would have just carried on. This is a period because I didn't know anything else. And I really hadn't done enough research myself over the years of my condition, of my symptoms to allow me to even take the next step of calling the doctor. My periods were getting heavier. I couldn't get out of bed. I was losing blood, which wouldn't allow me to move because the amount of blood loss that I was experiencing. 2019, I clearly had a cyst burst and I dealt with it at home, um, thinking it was just a bad period again, even though there was black stuff coming out of all angles of me, but it was just a bad period. But it was my husband. And if there's one soul and entity who I can put this all upon, is my husband who said, either you do something about this or I certainly will. And that was it. He, he has been the driver. So I'm so thankful that he has recognised as a male that even I know this isn't right. But in my head and all the years of conditioning and it's OK, it's just a period. It was just a period in my head. So if it's painful, they're meant to be painful. But what I didn't realise and what I realise now Bloody hell, it was way more than just a period. Yeah. We hear that so often and it's so sad to hear, Rapita, and well done on your husband. Um, oh, completely, yeah. And, but people, you know, and my neighbour did this actually. Um, she said to her, you know, her, her daughter was having really pe pe painful periods. Like, as in you say, so periods do hurt, but they, you know, they should be able to be managed quite easily. If it's actually interfering with your everyday life, then that's different. And we're suggesting doctor. But, you know, like my neighbor just said to her daughter, I'm really sorry, love, we get painful periods in, in our family. Because she'd been diagnosed with endometriosis, but only like after she'd had kids and had a hysterectomy. So she didn't really think about it. So yeah. like you quite often get, oh, you know, we do in our family, you'll have to do that. Because sometimes endometriosis can be genetic. So it runs in the family. It's not always, um, but sometimes. Or you might be told at school, well, you just have to, you're being a bit of a wuss. You just have to put up with it. Um, I don't know if you ever got that, you know, oh, stop trying to get out of games or whatever it might be. And I think without getting emotional, because it is quite emotive. It was one of my, um, going school, you coped with it. And, you know, you'd, I'd wear the biggest sanitary towel pads, double up, triple up if I needed to, you know, and we wore the shortest pea skirts in the world. You know, just the fear of someone just seeing a pad peering through was, was soul destroying and, you know, and then going into the workplace, working for local authority, um, I'm thankful to some extent the line manager at the time, she was female, so she understood that actually there, there is definitely a lot more going on with Ravita than meets the eye. But, you know, having to 
every time you get up and looking at your seat and just making sure that nothing has has penetrated through and you know gone through your clothes and there's been plenty of times where it did happen and you know I no longer got embarrassed I owned it I had to it was my blood but the fact that there was nothing in place for local authority to you know I'd, I'd stand there scrubbing my own chair down and you know hot desking I'd, I'd feared the fact that we went down the route of hot desking because I was like oh my god but what if I leave a stain on my chair for the next person and and to think about how that affects on your life so um and Rita, you can tell me if this is right, but we hear it of a lot of people. So heavy menstrual bleeding, it, it can be for a whole range of reasons that, you know, these things overlap. And um, But it's things like, you know, you you can't sleep for more than an hour or two at night for, for a week or so, because you will just be you're having, if you do, you're going to have to change your bedding. You know, um, I talked to someone who said, you know, it was um, she couldn't own white bedding because it just got ruined. She'd always wanted to have white bedding, but couldn't. Um, you know, you, I hear some young girls, if you don't mind being slightly graphic, you know, going swimming and, and having to, you know, they get out of the swimming pool and dripping blood. And you imagine the effect that then has on their, how they're treated at school. And yet this is a perfectly normal thing that happens to everybody. And for most people, it's not a problem. So I, I don't know why we can't just seem to grip, grip it, that it is different. It's a bit like I'm sitting here wearing glasses. My eyes don't work properly, but everyone gets that, don't they? You know, we all have these different things. Um, so I do think it's a shame that this happens, but I think I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's about informing people so that people don't think it's it's a normal thing. And one of the things that we campaigned really hard for um, was that um, menstrual well-being would be included in the school curriculum um, for primary and secondary. Because because actually you talked about starting your period at eleven. The average age now is nine to eleven, and I've spoken to GPs who see girls as young as seven and eight who started their periods. And people need to know what's going to happen to them before it does. And certainly um, we believe that they should be taught in a safe environment. We don't want to scare any children about having periods. It's not something they can opt into. But actually what is sort of a normal experience, what might happen, what to look out for, just the things that they should be taught. And also the right words. Be surprised all the doctors talk to us about this. Even sometimes, you know, uh, older women don't know the right words for parts of their body. So they can't really describe what's happening so yeah there's a whole host of things that needs to happen so there so is and I think the biggest thing is is education at school you, you are right Emma in terms of um and obviously your knowledge is far more um in-depth than mine but genetically yeah I can see symptoms now of my daughter going uh, having the same symptoms or similar symptoms to what I've had you know with their exams now Jesus she shouldn't be worried about her periods coming but already we're, we're thinking, you know, what are we going to put in place so her periods don't affect her exam? Because what if my child can't get out of bed for a GCSE exam because of her menstrual cycle? Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm, I'm now, well, if my daughter just cannot physically get out of bed for school because she's on a period, I'm the first to go say, you're staying in bed and mm -hmm. I'll go to school. The, 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 for me school I can remember wanting to go to the toilet at school not being allowed and then blood just through my skirt and I wore we had a grey skirt uniform so for me it was it was it was a trigger it was anxiety it was fear what if I'm on my period so you'd make any excuse under the sun not to be at school that week all mm. those few days and that shouldn't have affected my education shouldn't have been affected my mm. mental health shouldn't have been affected um so the conversations definitely need to happen within the curriculum. And I'm definitely an advocate for young people that want to use the toilet at school should be allowed to use it when they need to and want to use it. My daughter should not in any way, shape or form have to fight to use the toilet while she's on her bloody period. And yeah, I'm getting this part I'm really passionate about. Yeah. And I think people, you know, you hear all sorts of things, don't you? But when it comes down to it, if someone is worried about bleeding through their clothes, they are not learning that day. No, there is no learning happening. They are just stressed and like you say, anxious and concerned. Um, and, you know, I'm not a teacher, um, but you, you think there must be a way of supporting children that need to go to the toilet without doing it in an embarrassing mm. way. Well, what's happened is, Emma, 
my platform, because of the way the platform is, a lot of the young people that attend the school, my daughter, are aware of who I am and my platform. So they've seen my journey. Along with that is some of the, it's actually, it's incredible, the movement that's happened within her classroom, and I'm very proud of them. The boys are aware that Jamira's mum, and I'm happy to say her name, Jamira's mum has had surgery for, and they've just, for her periods. But obviously they're, they're, they've been educated a little bit more because they've asked questions. And the last time something happened and Jamira wasn't allowed to go, it was actually one of the boys in the class that went, she will be going to the toilet because don't you know her mum's just da 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 and that was it. The teacher oh, okay, was dumbfounded okay. and said, right, yeah. well, Jamera, go to the go to the toilet. So come and this is it. If 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 the conversations are having that we're having as adults are difficult now, but if we can ease those conversations for moving forward, I'm I'm here for that. Yeah. And if those conversations need to happen right at grassroots level, and I believe curriculum, it is school, it is school where it needs to start. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, I mean, back in the day when I, you know, we got taught about peers at school. So the boys were put in one place and they got taught about something. The girls were put in another place. You weren't allowed to talk about it. And actually, everyone needs to know, needs to know about everyone's puberty. Yep. It's the thing that impacts on, you know, everybody and, and things like that. And I think we over don't overcome the taboo. And certainly, I know growing up, if um once everyone had had to talk, uh, you know, the, the phrase where I grew up in the Midlands was, oh, you know, oh, you bet you're blobbing, you're blobbing because then, you know, I you're obviously in the Yeah, and it's, um, you know, and it's like a teenage thing. So if anybody, girl, did anything, they just got teased because they must be on a period because they're behaving like that. And we just have to get over that. It's a, it, it might be a strange bodily function, but it's a very, very natural one. And it is the foundation of all life on this world. Yeah, really. yeah. Got it. We did, I, I remember when, the, when I was at primary school, the talkers, that's probably the quietest I've ever been on all 50, uh, 40 of my podcasts, by the way, the last time, which is, I'm, I'm there making notes of going, I need to know all of this. And luckily, I remember I recorded it. So, um, I, you know, we, when we were at primary school, we kind of like the boys got sent to the field and we played football for two days. You know, like it was just a two two afternoons and it was wonderful. But we, when we came back, didn't realise there was, I think we just cottoned on. This is what was go this is what what happened. But then the also bit where I kind of where I missed out is I went to a boys' school. So yeah. during the secondary, so during secondary school where you know the changes are happening, um, you, you're not unless you've got sisters or kind of female family or anything like that, you, you're not really aware, you're not having those conversations. So all of a sudden you're in college, you're at university and all these things, and you're like, Oh, okay, you, you've got to have this kind of uh, Ricky, uh crash test. Did you have conversations at home? Did no. your mum or dad sit you down and say, periods? No. No, no I, I, my mum's a nurse. So, um, and uh, we just, we didn't, we never had the sit down conversation of saying, this is, this is it, this is what it is. We just knew we had to protect mum. We had to look after mum over, 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 I didn't really kind of under, understand those things and it and it wasn't not a, a case of wanting i'm just trying to think about mechanism mom was working all the time dad is working all the time and you know health is kind of police yourself policed in some ways and yep. we i we were too we were too busy i would say me more breaking bones playing football looking at <laughs> looking after our own our own bits but health in general wasn't necessarily kind of a conversation as i've got older and more and more weird about it, then health becomes more of a things and then you hear about different types of cancers or you hear this that and you then you go yourself kind of educate and when i was looking into the edge trying to learn a, a bit about this podcast uh one of the key things that came around was like misdiagnosis the 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 um the the battle between sort of endometriosis versus polycystic ovary syndrome and how sometimes things can be misdiagnosed would you would you say that is a very common theme emma or is it or, or is that easy it's really interesting ricky because um the because there's now so many people with multiple diagnoses from an evidence base we don't know if they're concurrent diabetes uh, diagnoses or misdiagnosis so i know people who have the full gamut so they might have um, endometriosis adenomyosis fibroids and pcos and they have all of those 
They're all things. Congratulations, Regina. <laughs> I feel like I should have an award. Like a, there's like yeah. a, 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 a royal flush. Yeah, like, I've got it all, like, you know. Yeah. I feel been, like I need to do that. Yeah. It's, and it's, and it's, and obviously, it's banter, but, uh, yeah, it's... I'm just going to sit here doing this now and, and nodding at you two talking. Okay. Sorry, cool. I apologise. <laughs> no, it's fine. No, it's fine. <laughs> And, and I think that, um, so for example, adenomyosis causes heavy menstrual breathing. A lot of people with endometriosis have adenomyosis. So it overlaps. So, so there are people who have more than one thing. Um, there's so many people now have been diagnosed with IBS and then diagnosed with endometriosis that we don't know if it's a misdiagnosis or it's a, the same thing. Or, you know, people can have both. So one of the things that I'm, is really, Ricky, there's not been enough research into it. So there's so little money goes into women's health research. And so little of that goes to endometriosis. We don't know the cause of it yet. And until we know the cause, we're not going to be able to find a cure. We don't have an easy diagnostic treatment. The only way to diagnose definitively for uh, many types of endometriosis is actually just through laparoscopy going in actually having a, somebody having a look and taking a biopsy there's some really great innovations in scanning and if you have um uh, a, a ovarian cyst and Ravita talks about having a cyst burst oh my god that must be very painful well I know it is from people um you know that you sometimes sit will cyst will share it with scans but we so we can't really tell what it is so then if people's symptoms are negated or not or not believed you know that's why the diagnosis has a long time so you get that whole thing about you know people being sort of told one thing and then the other people you know so i can rabbit on endlessly do no, you? no no it's fine I'm no no it's you a... like no it's not yeah and, and i think this is the thing emma your knowledge and what you're talking about i'm sitting here and we're both like and you're not rabbiting on at all this is i'm just sat here again not angry at myself but why didn't I do something earlier? And then it's, I thought, not, it's not about you, Ravita, because what you did is exactly what you were conditioned to do and what society conditions you to do. It's not, it's not, you shouldn't have had to do any more other than, well, you were in pain and as a society, nobody helped you. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we hear a lot is that, you know, of young um, girls in a lot of pain going in to see their doctors. And if, for what, you know, if they're, culture and if there's you know family think it's fine going on the pill at quite young ages we're medicating people as young teenagers without finding out what's wrong with them what is that about you know it's like there's nowhere else that we just go oh, yeah take take drugs but just on that emma in terms of kind of the evidence base i know like again when i was researching there wasn't any definitive kind of answers of what are the are the causes is there has there been any sort of progress in that area is there any kind of distinct behaviours, foods, anything that, or just kind of, uh, I know genetically it could be the, the main factors yeah. in there, but is there anything that is a major kind of, um, uh, kind of a sign or symptom? Um, well, in terms of signs and symptoms, um, is the, cl the classic one is chronic pelvic pain. And we don't mean just a bit of bad period, we mean chronic pelvic pain. And it quite often is cyclical as well. So if you keep a diary, it might happen the same time every month. It can cause bowel problems, problems um, weeing. Um, it can lead to infertility. Many people with endometriosis will have babies naturally should they want to, but it can lead to infertility. Um, and so, as I say, chronic pain is really that really one of the the, mo the most important ones. But what what I think when we know more about endometriosis, just like cancer is obviously lots of types of cancer, isn't it? So endometriosis isn't cancer, by the way, but it behaves like a cancer. Um, I've been I've been using just as you've just said, Emma. I, when people have asked what is endometriosis, I'm like, it's just see it as like a, a just see it as cancer. It isn't cancer, and to look at when I remember seeing it, I just remember seeing a spider, black spider's web. Yeah, but it acts very similar to her cancer. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, so it's gross. It's cells growing in the wrong place in the body, yeah. and they form. They can form their own uh, blood, you know, blood supplies, and that's how they work. But um, one of the one of the things we then have is that it's probably I mean, I think if we fast forward 20 years when we have this conversation again, um, we'll probably find out there's more than one type of endometriosis. So, you know, are endometriosis cysts, are they the same as deep endometriosis that grows, say, on the bowel or through the bowel? And is that the same as what we call peritoneal 
lovely name, endometriosis, which is on the surface of the lining inside the pelvic cavity, are these different things. We know that for in some cases, we know that endometriosis runs in the family, but in some cases it doesn't. It, somebody might have it, but then their children never have it. And somebody might get it and no one in the family has ever had it. So there's different sources. We don't yet know. There's a whole host of reasons. It was always thought to be something called a retrograde menstruation, which is if you think of your like fallopian tube, it's my fallopian tube impression. Very nice. Ovaries, ovaries Let's all there. do it. We all have to yeah. do it. Fallopian tubes. Um, so um, retrograde menstruation is when bits of your period, rather than going out, uh, through the vagina they go back up and they flow into your body and the thing is that sounds great apart from about 90 percent of people have retrograde menstruation so that's not really gonna uh, gonna show what that is um there's all theories about um that maybe their stem cells left over when people from when the fetus develops uh that sort of thing but we just haven't yet found a cause and it is quite likely as i say that there'll be a range of causes just like there is with diabetes there's be some genetic and some other ones as well and and you know from the from some of the data that you've discussed from for what you've mentioned, has there been a, a kind of a breakdown based on kind of ethnicity? Because like a lot for Ravita's kind of platform, for example, or my kind of platform, our audience is kind of mainly sort of from a South Asian kind of background. And what does the engagement look look like from from that cohort? And what does the data show us if there is any data? Sure. So there's um, there's quite a lot of data globally about endometriosis and everywhere it seems to be a similar amount so we say one in ten women in those assigned female at birth so it affects everybody the same um, I'd say that we need to do an awful lot more research uh, especially how we support those from different ethnic communities because as, as Ravita talked about earlier there's different attitudes to medicine and attitudes to um, doctors, there's different attitudes from doctors towards people. And what we do know, and the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists have done a lot of work, is that those from black and minority ethnic groups and Asian groups have worse health outcomes. And that will apply across all of gynecology. So we know that there needs to be more done. Um, so I think, um, and I think that, that also, you know, sadly, um, I mean, it's only, in, it's only like in the 60s, in, in, in America, endometriosis was called the career woman's disease because it was thought to be a psychosomatic reaction to people who followed a career but not had children. I'm not joking. But well, of you... course, what it is is like pushy women who had had a career saying, no, I am ill. And I think we still get a situation where, um, especially around that, you know, some people, um, you know, will realise something's wrong and seek help. And if someone else doesn't realise something's wrong and doesn't seek help, they won't go for it, like Ravita talked about. But that means we have this, you know, discrepancy. Discrepancy <laughs> between who gets help and who doesn't. And so I think there's an awful lot more needed to be to be done. Um, and we, we're um, looking and I think also, you know, as a charity, uh, we're keen to make sure that we represent everybody with endometriosis. Um, and I think it's, you know, very easy to speak to people that we know, but we need to make sure we're reaching everybody and providing what everybody needs. Um, yeah, I mean, you you raised like some fantastic points, and sort of uh, definitely kind of the building blocks where these kind of, these discussions will kind of uh, kind of go on. Uh, Ravia, you know, when you when you, you gave a real kind of uh, micro example in terms of how, how kind of that activism happened at your daughter's school, uh, when you've been quite visible on on your social media about your journey. In, in ter- I, know, I know the I know the answer of this, but I just want to kind of have it put out there in terms of the engagement of where people are trying to come to you support how difficult was it for you as a, as a person suffering from this but then also to try and sign, signpost people to give the right advice um I think if if I'm if it was overwhelming I'm not going to lie and I did think do I just shut myself off and actually just look after for myself just look after me for a change rather than but actually no for myself I have a duty of care I've created this platform and I, for a few days with do I let the world know I've had this diagnosis don't I I was having an emergency MRI so this goes back to, to last year of when because my diagnosis was very quick from you know and I, I, I see myself as a fortunate one to provide the support to signpost um 
and encourage women to just even pick up the phone to the doctors or actually you know what even before that to sit and have a discussion with their family and say I think something's not right with my periods because soon as I put it out there and I've been quite historically if I and I've tried to like go back in my archives of my social platforms and and blogging vlogging etc I've been quite vocal about my periods for a few years now. I'm in pain, I'm roasting, you know. And there was, there was naturally, there's been a pattern. Then fast forward to when I announced that I've got, I'm going through hospital tests and I'm, I've got MRI scan today, I've got this today. You know, the, people's support to the point of, I've got a diagnosis and then putting it out there publicly with my belly. I didn't, I was like, how am I gonna put this out there? just put your belly on show that is literally what came the first thing that came to, to show the world you smile and then they can swipe and then they can see the the four incisions that have been made that moment forward was just a penny drop for anyone that was following who felt like they might have the same condition as mine and I have been overwhelmed Every one of them I've dealt with, dealt with in terms of I've responded to their DM. Because if I've put it out there and I'm offering my support, even if it's just a heart that I send them back, what's happened is I know for a fact, Emma, I'll happily send you all the, the I've, I've been collecting all the data and all the information and all the DMs. It has been I, it's almost like I lit a match and put it in it and it is just went. I know for a fact women have been now given the diagnosis. Some women have come back to me saying, I think you've just saved my life. And I understand what that statement means. Um, it's been overwhelming, but it's the whole reason of why I created my platform in the first place. And what I now need is more than ever is the support of like yourselves and Emma and so much because I can't do it. I know I can't do it alone. I'm not in any way trained medically to do this alone or even mentally. But what I can do is offer support and say, this is my story. This is what I went through. Culturally, we need to be having a lot more discussions. I was angry at my parents for about 30 seconds because like you said, Emma, it opened a Pandora's box of a conversation I had with my doc back when I was 13. And remember the words of him saying to my mom, I think we should try and put her on the pill. And my mom saying, no, because that will give her an excuse to go off and have sex with boys. So culturally, contraception was never gonna be an option in my house. So all these conversations, I'm having conversations with my cousin, female, males, especially, you're talking to your daughters about periods, and a lot of my family members call me Ruv. That's my home name, Ruv. And they'll be like, Ruv, shut up. And I'll be like, no, I'm not going to shut up anymore because this is so important. Are you talking to your wife about her periods? You know, she's on a period. She's in bed. Allow her to be. So it's been overwhelming. There's been moments where I've just cried. There's been moments where I've just video called the message because it's too powerful not to. But the fact that women are having discussions, the fact that young girls are reaching out to me and across the spectrum, the, the response has been overwhelming, but it has been what it's meant for and that is it's opened discussions and people are realising it's just not a period anymore. Emma, there was, a, there was something that Ravita just said in terms around the kind of loneliness uh, around it. And uh, this week, while we're recording this, is Mental Health Awareness Week. Yeah. Uh, and one of the stats that you've kind of, your your organisation has put out, that was that 54% of those with endometrial, uh, endometrial uh, obviously, often feel the, there was my turn to have my discrepancy moment there, endometriosis, um, have uh, feelings of isolation. So oh. it's it's not just necessarily kind of the physical pain. The, the 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 mental aspect of it can affect other parts of your of your health. How how difficult is it then to kind of do you um, work actively with other kind of causes and trying to highlight this or uh, and 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 just get a little bit more about that that information around um, what you did there. 
Yeah, so we are trying to. I think that, um, so some of the, the facts, we did a big survey a couple of years ago, and this was pre just before COVID. So isolation and things have got worse. We know it since then, um, generically in the country. But um, night we had a survey, we had over 10,000 responses, so quite a big survey. 95% of respondents who had endometriosis said it affected their well-being negatively and 81% it affected their mental health negatively, and 89% were unable to lead their life as they would want to lead their life. So we're talking like having a major impact. And I think, you know, I know, um, you know, if you've, if you've been in pain for, for many years and people are telling you it's in either in your head, you're making it up, or, you know, you should just get over it and everyone else does, it's just think what impact that has being told that you're just making stuff up year after year after year so you can imagine the mental health it has and then also often it's people um young people they would be times when people would be forming friendships um we hear a lot about people saying that they're very isolated because they get told that they're too flaky they have to cancel engagements they can't go out and do what they want to they can't you know you know like Ravita's described about you know having period you can't maybe just go out all day without you know without taking like a change of clothing and everything like that so we hear especially from younger people about this like real isolation it, it can cause you know I remember talking to uh, one person recently and she described um uh you know having to uh eat her she used to eat her college sandwiches in the toilets because she hadn't got any friends because she had missed so much school you know so it's quite it has a real impact oh, yeah. so although it's a health condition a physical health condition because of the way that we treat it or ignore it and don't treat it it can have a real impact on people's mental health and that's one of the reasons we're calling for the nice guidelines to be updated we talked about earlier because it needs recognizing and I think what happens is and I'm going to now completely like you know I, I don't want to trivialize it but just to give like an average thing is you someone on average has eight years of going I'm in pain and everyone going oh no you're not loved get over it and then eventually they go, oh, maybe you are in pain. Let's do some things. They don't treat your pain. You're still in pain. And then eventually you maybe you'll have surgery. Um, and that works for many people, cutting out, you know, removing the endometriosis works for many people. Uh, and many people will, that that's all they need. For others, it might grow back and things like that. And it varies person to person. Um, you know, but it could be like 10 years of being in chronic pain on average you know eight years of being told that you're you're just making it up or you should get over it you can imagine can't you the impact it has but as, as a as a kind of chief chief exec you've got many different aspects in terms of what your challenges that you face how do you decide you know, what part of the seed to boil first yeah well a heart of everything is it has to be how's it going to help people with endometriosis and do they want, you know, what is it that people want? Does that make sense? So the heart of all our decision making is the person with endometriosis and what will help them uh, either in the short, medium or long term. And then it's also around um, being really clear about what we want. So, you know, we've talked a lot about there's not enough research into endometriosis. Now that's quite long term. So we're involved in lots of research projects with universities. Uh, we're looking long term about how can we shape the research agenda. So this stuff like that might go on. But equally, what's really important is supporting people who to get a diagnosis or just being diagnosed. So we um, work with different people to identify what support we can give. We have um, support groups. Uh, locally we have a helpline we've just started a web chat because that's what we found people were saying they wanted to do web chat now I say you know we're all but it's all volunteer run it's not um you know so we have people every day it's a couple of hours every day um uh you know we have things online so it's really to, to setting our priorities we have a strategy as you'd expect and what we want to see is one day we'd like to see there to be a cure but until then we want everyone to get access to high quality treatment to have good good and quick diagnosis so we sort of that's what we're driving towards um and also there's a bit around opportunity so what can we you know what else is going on in the news what can we you know try and leverage so that we can raise awareness as well yeah i, I mean one of the things that I, I i i kind of noticed and it was something even where Ravita said in, in her story but in a, in a different way is about having an employer uh having a friendly employer and, and understanding those things so not just only kind of change it but the change of the workforce environment as well 
Yeah, so we um, absolutely that's something we hear an awful lot, especially um, from people, you know, because depending, you know, it's one thing if you're at the end of your career and you can make decisions about how you work, especially as you enter a career, it's quite hard to, you know, say you're in retail and you need to go to the toilet off the shop floor. How do you get negotiate that if you're on the till? How do you negotiate that? So um, we've developed an endometriosis friendly employer scheme. Um, we've just had our 100th company join as well. And there's some big names in there, HSBC, Standard Life were the first, helped us develop the scheme. Um, so, you know, various rail companies, quite a lot of police forces, which is great because, you know, there's a lot of quite active roles in the police and that's quite hard to manage difficult chronic pain and things. Um, so I think, I think really what we want to see is that menstrual conditions are just afforded the same uh, treatment for everyone as you would any other chronic condition and again because it's taboo um, so unfortunately people sort of well it's just a bad period everyone has periods so I think that's a, a really important area as well so yeah so anyone else listening out there who's an employer have you thought about being an endometriosis friendly employer it's very simple just uh just say that that's what you want to do and then work towards it it's quite basic how amazing yeah I, I mean yeah, which yeah. my employers had had it at the time I tell you. and I think a lot of it is as well is it's male dominated industries as well and um and if you if your line manager right to the end of the management scale ladder is is male as well I'm sorry I'm, I'm just going to say it there's no, we've, there's no hope in hell then because they're unless they're going to be signing up to schemes like this unless they're educated that poor frontline staff female on a period who has been undiagnosed and is sitting there fearing that she is gonna have to take another day off sick and I'm talking about myself now another day off sick which is going to go against her which potentially is going to go against her moving up the career it was all going against me one of the drivers why I had to leave local authority I'm going to self-employment I think we hear a lot of people saying they've gone into self-employment um, or freelance because of that. And I think it's interesting. I would say that there's quite a lot of women who are like really bad bosses and don't understand it as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, one. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, and I think I think one of the things for me is, so back in the day when I learned my management, uh, you know, all my management technique stuff, is we were told if someone had the odd day off every month or so they were obviously skiving I mean that's what it was you were told to look for patterns because you know they might be I don't know go fishing once a month or something or they're doing something and so and there's actually scores there's um so big companies will use something called the Bradford score which is a way of scoring sickness yeah and points is bad but you get more points for taking the odd day off every month or so than if you have a block of work. Yeah. I think that's sexist because it means that anyone with a menstrual condition is, is uh, penalised more than someone who doesn't have a menstrual condition. Um, we are looking at if we can prove that or not. It's quite the Bradford scores. <laughs> it was, yeah, yeah I, it, that was actually, as soon as you said Bradford score, it took me back nearly 12, 15 years ago. Yeah. I but it still goes on, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it was a huge trigger for me, Emma, and I would often then, if I knew period was not going the way that I wanted it to, I would drag my bum still to work, literally, and they would then see the state I was in and then say, right, at lunchtime, you've occurred enough loo or toil, you can go home in the afternoon. Thank you very much. And I think the thing for me is, is that the, the way that we, we recognise illness and disability and things in this country is we don't have a long list of things that are disabling because some, you know, lots of things like endometriosis, are a spectrum, etc. But it's very clear that if you are disabled by your condition, that counts as a disability. And if you are ill with anything, work should treat it the same, irrespective of which part of the body it is. And I think that's the thing for me, it's just this lack of, you know again we go back to the whole sort of taboo subject it's just for some reason we don't recognize um you know that 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 women can have conditions that do impact on them in a, in a way that's different now you know and again it's you know i'm really sorry Rita, that you've had the experience you've had many women the vast majority of women will have totally fine periods and not have a problem yeah. with them. So it's not a case of saying everyone with periods needs this. I don't believe that at all. But actually, for those people who do need it, we should damn well make sure that they get the support as they would if they had like severe toothache and migraine 
or anything else that you happen to them. And and so I think I'm just going to try and bring it to a bit of a nice sort of close summary in terms of like keeping it positive in terms of what will what would you like in terms then Emma in terms of a challenge for for us in terms of what the next step should be so we if we we highlight the campaigner right into the MP um, trying to make a workplace more in uh, in, in, in embracing in terms of um, understanding conditions improving engagement with the with the communities that we that we're already involved in is there anything else that in terms of some of the campaigns of how we can support you as well um sure that's great one of the things i'd just add first is i think the thing that everyone can do that can really help people with make choices is if you ever are speaking to someone and they even touch on having a bad period don't look away and change the subject but just say oh well, how's that going so i think you know friends and family let's let's support them as Ravita's been saying um I think uh, we we run a range of campaigns so check keep out on the website but I do think um importantly it's about everyone being prepared to talk about it um whoever they are and I know Ravita's done an amazing job as you have Ricky doing this about talking <laughs> about these things um but I think you summarized pretty well what we're doing keep, keep an eye on our campaigns um and let's see if between us all because it's a team effort it's never going to be one person it's doing it yeah, let's see what we can do to raise awareness and, and to reach people so that, you know, if we, we don't, in 10 years time, we don't want anyone else having to suffer like Ravita did because she can't go to the toilet she needs to at school or because she's not getting the help that she wanted. Everywhere, school, religious institutions, it stopped me from attending temple, Gurdwara, because it's white sheets on the floor. And you know the le learning to sit in a certain way, and I'm doing it now, believe it or not, because I've been, it's I've become so conditioned, because the way I'm sat now is I'm sat on one leg, so I'm not my bum's actually not touching the seat, and so I'm having to unlearn all of my behaviour because I've had surgery and pretend I don't need to worry about stuff like that. But it's not just about when you're on your period; it's the after effects of it all and and yeah you're right Emma it's you know it's, it's it's raising the awareness clearly raising money because that's what we need as well for the charity so I'll be doing my my little bit on your behalf as much as I can um so there is lots that need to be done and and just discussions like this um from from my perspective is 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 fantastic and the fact that somebody like Ricky is hosting it you know, Ricky, bravo to you and, and, and thank you because it's it's these type of platforms that we we definitely need to be raising our conditions on and about and reaching audiences who necessarily won't talk about this. I think that's the I think that's the kind of the, the, the challenge of being there brave enough to put your hand up and say, yeah, don't know about it. Uh, need to kind of courage is probably the word. Um, yeah. so I'll probably have to um yeah, but I'll have to take some time out and read some more, to be and, honest. And, and, and you know what, Ricky, and that's okay, isn't it? And it's the same, it's the same manner of, you know, I've, I've been um, I've been a daughter-in-law of this household now for nearly 19 years. And watching how, for example, my father-in-law was right at the beginning, no daughters, doesn't understand what periods is. Luckily, my mother-in-law's never suffered. You know, it's been always quite natural, pain-free periods to having a daughter-in-law who couldn't get out of bed and saw it as an excuse not to attend family functions. No, it wasn't. To the same man now who was prepared to use, bless him, his retirement and pension to send me private to get my surgery done. And you know, so it's, it's a 360. He's the first now to talk about a period and not flinch and the other men and he's like yeah my daughter suffers with, my daughter suffers with her periods and so does my daughter-in-law and I'm not going to shut up about it and that that's a, a, a Punjabi gentleman hitting his 70s now talking about it so if he can have the discussions now we certainly can but there's more to be done but we're gonna we're gonna try and do our bit aren't we Ricky yeah that's the one thank you everyone uh, you know i really i really appreciate you coming on the, on the on the podcast and um it, you know we will kind of have a we've got a, a chronological journey now in terms of seeing how we can try and uh, um improve the the spaces that we that we work and live in
Cheers, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Emma. Thank you. Bye. Matt, and I just want to say I will continue to use our platform um, definitely to raise awareness. If there's any way that um, the charity and the platform want to work together, just use and abuse the platform. It's there. Let's catch up later and we will sort that out, yeah? For sure. Thank you. Thank you, Ruth. Okay, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.